You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of the world-famous Comedy Cellar. We are coming at you on Sirius XM Raw Dog 99, and we are via Zoom. And Noam wanted me to do the intro for some reason. I guess he's, he's, he's sick of it. But uh, Noam is, is here from his undisclosed location somewhere in Westchester County. Perry L. Ashenbrand is with us. And uh, forgot the name of our guest. Erica Comisar. Erica Comisar, I'm sorry. Erica. <laughs> you want me to start that again? You want me to just do that intro again? No, no, it's okay. I'm, Erica, I'm sorry. And I, you know, I just saw you a couple of weeks ago at the cellar and I totally spaced on your name. Yeah, don't worry. She's, uh, a, she's a therapist. They don't get mad at anything. Yeah. I'm wearing a baseball hat because how's a brother get a haircut in lockdown? <laughs> so I'm having a bad hair day. I never wear baseball hats. That's completely not my MO. I find them, I, it's just not me, but given the hair situation. Anyhow, uh, Erica's a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and we're gonna be talking to her in a bit. I did wanna mention, Noam, yeah. the, uh, I think it's important to mention that the Comedy Cellar has a GoFundMe for the staff. Yeah. And uh, you don't wanna talk about this? I think it's- No, we can, we, we can talk about it. It's not, it's not, we, the Comedy Cellar doesn't have it. Um, I, think, I think we have to credit that with Mike, to Mike Birbiglia. Okay, Mike Birbiglia set it up yeah. as the Comedy Cellar, um, to raise money for the Comedy Cellar staff because they're not working, obviously. And in very short order, we're up to, last I checked, it's up to over $30,000. Wow. Um, yeah, in, well, in, in, in our government's infinite wisdom, you know, I, I'm not allowed to set that kind of thing up. And uh, I'm also not allowed because it can be considered a way of discriminating. I'm also not allowed to have a hand in how it's, how it's distributed because then I could be open for other discrimination um, accusations, but I, I am allowed to contribute to it, which I did. No, I'm generously contributed. I won't say how much, but if you, if you go on the GoFundMe, you'll see, but he was generous. Um, but that is an interesting question. How, how are they going to divide it up? Who's going to get it? Gonna, I mean, and who's in charge of dividing it up? Well, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm a little worried about it. I mean, I, I, I have other things to worry about, but the, the, um, the government's giving everybody uh, like $600, I think pretty much at minimum, as far as I could tell a week and, and nobody's paying rent. So that's, that's a pretty good, like for the average waiter or waitress who works there, that's a pretty good weekly uh, amount of money to sit home and, you know, order out and, and whatever people will let their bills slide a little bit. And a lot of the waiters and waitresses have families. Some of them I know have doctors and lawyers as parents, but you know, that they, they have, they have other safety nets. And then there are some employees there who are like some of our security guys who are uh, sole wage earners. They don't make the big money that the waiters and waitresses make. They're sole wage earners and they have like two children and a wife and an apartment. Some of them are, are immigrants uh, and have no safety net, no family and things fall back. And some of them, I presume, and I really don't know this, but I have to presume some of them are people who are working with um, flimsy social security numbers who in the end may have trouble collecting unemployment. And uh, I, I, if the government wants to come after me because I suspect that, go ahead. But I, I, I believe that to be the case. I really don't know the case. So 
what, what worries me about this GoFundMe $30,000 is that everybody- I'm sure it's going to go higher. It's, yeah. It, it just that I, I don't, I, if, if I had my way, I would give it only to the people who really needed it. I'd be generous to the people who I, who I felt really needed it. And I would um, expect that people who have families and parents and in their, in their lives, whatever it is, or just didn't need that much money, you know, find, find another source of income. But I'm afraid that once he puts this up and says, here, we have this amount of money that everybody is going to feel, oh, I need to get my share of it. So it's, it's not the way ideally that I, I would like it to be done. And I hope that if anybody in my staff is, listening here, they know that it's a finite amount of money and that they should really question themselves 10 times to decide whether they need that dollar as opposed to the people who they work with who really don't have any other, any other options. And they know who those are. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that I think my staff won't do the honorable thing. It's just always worrisome when you put out a sum of money like that and it's for you guys. And everybody says, okay, well, where's my share? You know, so I'm, that's my worry. Also, some people have been working there a long time. Some people work there part time. Some people, you know, so you, you have that issue as well. I mean, somebody that just started yesterday, uh, are they entitled to the same money? You know, these are the questions. There's some people, there's some people who work there just a couple months and don't even intend to work there more than a couple months. Some people just passing through. I have people, some people you don't like. Well, I, I wouldn't bring that into it. But I, I, I also have people who work for me uh, 20, 30 years who are lifers in the way that we used to think about like Japanese companies would, would, uh, when you worked at a Japanese company, that was like a lifelong decision. And, and there was a kind of responsibility that the Japanese companies had to their employees, which was different than the American commitment because, uh, they were considered to be committed employees for over the long term. So my waiters and waitresses, of course, they just take a job for a couple months, they're bartenders, and then they move on to something else. And it's kind of like musical chairs. The chair that they happen to stop in is supposed to somehow have this um, this big responsibility to them. And I, I don't really accept that. I think that the government is really the, the, the institution that is supposed to backstop this particular type of event. I, ideally, I would like to have been able just to deal with this one-on-one -on -one with my employees. Um, uh, but I certainly have nothing bad to say about them uh, having uh, that fund of money. Now, Mike, now Mike has got to worry about how, he, what the, you know, what the requirements are going to be, who's going to distribute it, who gets to decide, how do you make sure, whatever. Um, the only thing that I said is that I, I think that the first question needs to be, um, are you, have you applied for all the government benefits that you apply for? And if you haven't, I think you should do that first before you start taking money from the fund. But I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, it is, um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I would imagine uh, the comedy community uh, seems to be able to, given GoFundMe campaigns related to the comedy community that I've seen in the past, raise a lot of money very quickly. And I don't know, if this is unusual, but it probably is. And there's some big, you know, some of these comics are very wealthy people and, and they tend to be generous. Well, and I, I mean, and John Mayer gave $2,500 and Sarah, gave, yeah. Sarah Silverman gave money and uh, um, somebody gave $5,000. I don't know who that was. Is that an anonymous? That was an anonymous donation, yeah. Um, so so, we don't know who it is, but we, don't know, but we certainly know who it isn't. Who, is, who isn't it? Well... I mean, there's a lot of people who it isn't. <laughs> Not you, Dan. We certainly know it's in you. Well, I know I donated under my name. Uh, did you donate? 
I donated a, a, a honey. All right, that's nice of you. I thought it was reasonable. It's about the, you know, you, you, you matched all your tips over the years. Anyway. Well, my tips, if you ask any I know. Way, my tips are just pretty generous. Okay. Anyway. Can we bring Erica into the conversation? Erica Commissar is whether you can introduce her, you know more better than I do. So, so Erica is, uh, first went on my radar when she wrote a Wall Street. She has a book uh, about um, how children need their mommies or at least their daddies or somebody in with, for the first three years, was it, Erica? And uh, I was very taken with that column. And so we first invited her to be on the podcast a few years ago. And then she, she and I became friends. And um, recently she wrote a column about, about how to uh, deal with children during the, uh, um, this crisis, right? Yeah. That sounds and, like a uh, topic maybe, for us. Maybe we should that. start with that because uh, I've been treating my kids like the little boy in Life is Beautiful, thinking, you know, in the concentration camp who thinks it's all fun and games. <laughs> But uh, and but Periel has a, a six-year-old also. So what, what's your advice to parents out there? Well, I wrote that column about how um, the good thing that might come out of this is that very young children in particular are getting a lot out of being with their parents so much. Um, the volume is not spending, great. Could you increase the volume somehow? Sure. They're probably spending more time. Is that better? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, because I can also take more off, if you could. I can take off. Uh, I think that's it. I can take off the headphones. It sounds good to me. Sound yeah. good to you, Periel? Yeah, it sounds yeah. fine. It sounds is, fine. Is hearing loss a COVID symptom? Okay. <laughs> I could. I could take off the headphones. Would that help? You think? No, because I think the mic is in the headphones. Yeah. So. Is that the mic you're using? Yeah. Yeah. You want me to? Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. Well, maybe just uh, speak a little bit louder for that for the sure. people in the back. Sure, I can speak louder. So I wrote the column because kids are getting to spend more time with their parents, which is a very good thing. And for very young children, they're probably getting to spend more time than they've ever spent with their parents. Um, and so many of my patients um, are really finding that their very young children are loving the corona crisis because um, you know they, they're getting quality time with their parents and quantity time. Um, teenagers, it's a different story. So they're having a very hard time being home and not socializing because developmentally it's like appropriate for them to like be separating at this point. But for very young children, um, you're doing the right thing, Noam, which is, you know, this has got to be fun for them. You have to, and, and it doesn't always have to be entertaining them, but, um, but at least, you know, making this uh, an enjoyable time that you spend with them. How much are children absorbing the nature of this? Like, um, are they hearing on TV death tolls and people dying? And are they understanding, uh, at what age are they really understanding that this is a legitimately, um, a legitimate crisis? Well, children pick up on parents' worries and anxieties from the very beginning, infants do. Um, and one of the things that I say is to parents is don't listen to the news more than 15 minutes a day. You get your allotment of 15 minutes of news a day. That's it. Um, and that way there's no TV blasting. And, and also parents have to be careful about speaking uh, about their worries in front of their children. You have to speak about your worries. It's very important that adults have... Um, places they can go, people they can talk to, talk to each other if you're living in a house with another adult. Um, but you have to be aware that you don't do it in front of children, um, that, that you save that for, for other adults and maybe for your therapist. Um, but yes, children pick up on anxiety at a very uh, young age. Well, if I were a young person or even a teenager and I uh, 
heard on the news this many people are going to die and that many people. I mean, I would have been, you know, pretty, pretty concerned. Yeah. I was concerned at that age uh, about the Russians dropping a bomb on us, but that was the 80s. Yeah. So we don't have that concern anymore. But um, is it important to tell a young person, look, at your age, you're really, you're, you're, you're not, you're not in any physical danger. Um, I mean, your mother and I might drop dead, but you'll be okay. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, the best way is to ask them if they have any questions. And, you know, if you've been careful, um, you know, they're going to have some questions, even if you've been careful. And so the, the rule is that you answer the questions the children ask, but you don't give them too much information. You just give them enough information to answer the question. And then you ask them if they have another question. Well, and I got a question. So if I'm a kid and I say, mommy, um, uh, is this, if, are we going to die? So the idea is, oh, gotta be role play. Wanna, gotta the them. idea is you do want to get to reassuring them, but you don't, you want to hear their fears first. So you want to, empathy always comes before reassurance. So you want to make sure that you're tuning into how they're feeling and, saying, I can, I can hear, I can see that you're kind of worried about this. Um, and you, you may be hearing things that are making you feel worried about this. Do you have any questions about it? And I have a question, say, Mommy. Gonna... Mommy, do you have any comorbidities? <laughs> <laughs> the idea is you do want to reassure them, but you don't want to reassure them without first hearing their feelings. Feelings first. So always feelings first, and then you get to reassurance. But yes, you do want to reassure them. And, you know, we say you don't want to lie to children. So parents have to dig, adults have to dig really deep into themselves now to find hope and to be able to see past the present, meaning there's this kind of uh, balance that we're, 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 we have to find now, which is that we, we lean into the past to think about how we've dealt with adversity and what will help us to deal with adversity that's worked for us in the past. And we have to think about the future and know that this is not going to last forever. But for the most part, we want to live in the moment and we want to be mindful and we want to be mindful with our children. So to say, mommy's fine now, daddy's fine now. And in the end, we're all going to be okay. It's going to be a little bit of a long haul. We're going to be in together. Um, and I can hear that it's scary, but we're all going to be okay. So yeah, you want to hear their feelings and then reassure them. At what age do they actually, like my son said something the other day, I, I wish I could remember exactly what he said. My son is six. He's very, very attached to me. And he says something like, well, daddy, if you die, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he said it so casually. It was, it was very clear to me that, uh, not that he didn't love me, that he didn't really understand death. Right. Yeah. And, and at, at what age do they really understand death? Or is it very? Well, I mean, they don't understand the finality of death. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't understand death is a word to them. It's the concept is far too overwhelming. So, yeah, I mean, I think if your son says to you, you know, when you die, and then I think you could say, well, are you worried about me dying? Again, you're, you're kind of digging for feelings, always digging for feelings. But yeah, no, they don't understand the concept or the finality of death, Erica, which is why we, it's, I it's why, we, yeah, go ahead. I gotta be honest with you, as I plumb the depths of my own memory, I, I'm pretty sure I knew exactly what death was at three years old, certainly by six. But I remember my parents explain, like I heard the word, I have a vague memory of hearing the word somebody died and I'm like, what's dying? And they explained to me, oh, that's, you know, how, you know, the end of living. And I'm pretty sure I got it right away because I remember hollering, screaming. And my parents were like, don't worry, it won't happen for a long time. 
which turned out <laughs> so, yeah, You know, I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal that came out, I don't know, a few months ago about how faith is important for children, meaning that even if as a parent you don't believe in something otherworldly, you don't believe in a higher power, that when it comes to children, because they can't really conceive of the finality of death, you know, um, it rests on you to come up with a good story. Um, and like most said, people, the story is heaven. And, and, you know, a lot of people believe in heaven. And if you don't believe in heaven, you're doing that for your child because telling your child that just it's the end of life and dust to dust, it's too overwhelming to a child. Um, so they have to have some sense of the continuation. It's overwhelming for an adult, I dare say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you have to treat you know, this whole thing with, with things that are age appropriate, like you can't expect a six-year-old or a three-year-old to understand certain concepts. And I think, you know, as parents, the onus is on us to sort of figure out um, how to protect them from the harsh realities of what's going on with this. They don't need to know everything. They That's can't exactly possibly right. understand all of it. Um, and I don't really think it's fair to put that on them either. That's exactly right. You only give, you only answer what they need to know. And look and, how and, Noam cringed when you said you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a low blow, Erica. We've never said that to Periel on this show before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the concept is you really, do, you only give children what they can handle and what they need to know. And again, without lying to them, you also don't want to lie to them. So if they say, mommy, are you scared? Daddy, are you scared? It's okay to say, yeah, I'm scared sometimes too, but I'm also hopeful about the future. It's what we call simultaneous feelings. So children don't always understand the concept of simultaneous feelings. Like you can feel angry at someone and love them at the same time. Whereas as adults, we understand that. So you can say to them, yeah, I do feel scared too sometimes about this, but I also feel like we're going to be okay. And that's probably both true. You're not lying to them. All right. Um, question. Oh, let me put this. I, I, only because I like, I like the, the, the tech here. Um, what do you think, uh, can, if you can see this, it's, can you, see, you see that headline? Yeah. And I might want to, I just want to add this to it. Oh, wait, wait, I, I, wait, I didn't do it right. Can you hear that? I'm hearing music. Wait. Do it like this. I'm hearing string music. <laughs> Experts say. Yeah, I've been playing well, a lot of shows to, to cheer up my kids. You the headline that you wanted to show us. I, you couldn't see it, and you couldn't hear you screaming over Schindler's List either. All right, hold on. I'll do. I'll do it again. Well, do, I, I realize is, now that I shared the wrong. The headline said something about like mental health and. and okay, you see it? economy. I'll, should I play Schindler's List again? No. <laughs> I just want to have the, the proper mood for it. Uh, Erica, yeah. so uh, the, the president has said that uh, he talked about suicide rates and uh, the, the stresses of social distancing. What did you think about when he said that and what do you think about what he said? I mean, I think that 
inherent in all this is so much loss for people. So it's, it's uh, social distancing or what I call physical distancing. We really shouldn't be calling it social distancing. We should be calling it physical distancing because that's what it is. Um, we're not disconnecting from socially. I'm talking to you. I can see you. It's not the same as being there, but um, we're, we're physical distancing. But, you know, any anything to do with this whole coronavirus crisis is involving loss. We're either losing, you know, uh, my kids are losing seeing their friends and going to school and finishing. One of my sons is a senior in high school. He's missing the end of his senior year. He's going to miss graduation. Um, people are losing their jobs. People um, have lost loved ones. You know, there, there's, there's loss all around. People are losing income, you know. So I think the concept of depression and anxiety, um, whenever you have adversity and you have an underlying uh, kind of depression or anxiety in a human being, it's going to exacerbate it. So yeah, we're going to see an uptick for sure in anxiety and depression. We were already seeing so much anxiety and depression. So yeah, we're, we're definitely going to see more. Um, Are you busier than usual? Sorry? Are you busier than usual? I am busier than usual. So busy. Um, patients from 25, 30 years ago are calling me. Because we say once a therapist, always a therapist. So once I'm your therapist and you get better and you go away, 30 years later, you could have a loss and you call me and I'm still your therapist. So yeah, I'm, I'm hearing from people that I haven't heard from in 25 or 30 years. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm hearing some people saying uh, that uh, th there's a, a well, one guy in particular said, you know, now everybody's kind of in the same boat as me. I mean, this is loser talk. Yeah. But um, if people like people whose lives weren't going that great might feel like this is sort of equal equalize the playing field, and they feel uh, I don't know if you've run into that. Maybe those people can't afford a therapist, but I hear them. Um, I, you know, I, I, yes. I mean, I, I think I think what, what is the expression? Misery loves company. So I think if you were unhappy before. Um, you know, I, I would say everybody's impacted by this in some way. Maybe those people that were already feeling unhappy, maybe they're still unhappy. But what I would say is unhappiness is now exponential. You're just happy that Jim Gaffigan's not making any money. You know, so now... Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think everybody is impacted by this in one way or another. So Yeah, and I do, I do think there will be an increase in depression and anxiety, and I'm already seeing it. Yeah, that, I, I was... I was the, I, I should explain the, the Schindler's List. I, I was just thinking that, you know, we, we, it, it could be a lot worse is really what, what I'd been thinking a lot. And, and when you think about what um, other generations have been through, um, we're not going through the people who are not sick. Like yeah. the people who are sick, we're really going through it. But the rest of us, I mean, um, we're not, it's not, it's, this is not the worst Thing we've ever experienced it may it may happen that the future is very difficult but we don't know that and and hopefully it won't be um, I think one way to keep yourself grounded is to be grateful yeah and I think what you're saying Noam is you're grateful for what you have you have a lovely family and you have a, a good business and you know I mean we all have things to feel grateful maybe as you say Dan maybe some people have fewer things to be grateful about but we all have something to be grateful for. And, and I think it is a time to have perspective. You're right, Noam. I no, mean, I, ironically, let me cheer you all up. Fire for the head, Ryan!
Und wir werden in unserem Zeichen wieder siegen! I mean, what I is wrong happy. with can, you? I was like, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine what they were going through, right? Like, people in that video seemed like they were in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're just not used to at first, like people a hundred years ago expected everyone to drop dead of, of, of smallpox or cholera or expected horrible things to happen. We thought, we're so stupid, we thought that we had uh, science and technology our way out of this kind of adversity. It's yeah, I think it's a very American thing. Pardon? I think it's a very American I thing. American, I think it's a first world thing. Okay, yeah. well. But, but I, we, I, we thought that we had defeated these kinds of diseases. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen this in so long. But, but uh, and we've been sort of spoiled, you know. Those of us who were born, when we were born, you know, we avoided uh, getting drafted and sent off to war and, you know, we avoided some, some, some of the things that our parents and grandparents went through and we're, we're soft. I, I mean, I think that's right. I think World War II is, what, 80 years ago. So, you know, if you think about it, 80 years is uh, more than one generation, two generations. So, you know, if maybe even- gotten away with murder. Generations. Yeah, so, so, you know, we haven't experienced the kind of adversity since no one put up, you know, a picture of Hitler, but the truth is we haven't really experienced that kind of adversity in 80 years. So, but I do well, think in America, we haven't, I mean, my husband's from Israel and he's like, yeah. you know, that's true. This is not something that is altogether that foreign to him in the sense that, you know, you can't leave the house, you know, in a lot of ways, this is, what, what I'm not hearing a lot of people here say is if, you, if you're one of the people who isn't sick and staying home is a luxury, you know? Like I have a lot of friends who have people who are doctors and nurses and, you know, the, I don't know, the people who are, you well, know. I saw maybe, a picture of the subway that, I don't know if it's accurate, but it was, yeah. it was I sent it to you, Perry. I sent it to Noam as well. It was a picture of the subway supposedly taken yesterday at rush hour, and it was packed to the gills. And I think it's an accurate picture because everybody was wearing a mask. So that wouldn't have happened a week ago, probably. So that, that's scandalous. These are people, working people. Yeah. Uh, that, this is an assault on working people. Yeah. But how do you solve it? How do you, how, what, what's the solution for people that have to go to work and have to take public transportation? Should we give them all a, an allowance to take an Uber? Should, well, Ubers aren't safe either. Well, they're safer, well, they're I would safer. imagine, than a subway. Or should we just, or, or should we close more things? Or um, I don't know where these people are all going. I mean, there can't be that many grocery stores, and they're not all health workers. So I don't know what else is open. I don't know, and I, and I, and I, um, I think the subways are not running as as frequently as they used to. Also, they're I think not. That's calling. That's causing congestion. I mean, I a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the coming and going are the healthcare workers and people that support them. And I mean, I know the hotels like the Four Seasons, and I think it's the St. Regis, and have opened their doors to doctors and nurses and and people who work in hospitals, and you know, so they don't have to commute, but they're still having to get to their jobs. And you know, I think there's still a lot of coming and going. 
Um, we just had the seven o'clock clapping and screaming. I don't know if you all. I, I heard it. I, I look out of like the courtyard, so I can't really do it. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, talk about appreciation and gratitude at seven o'clock every night. It gets louder every night. The clapping and the screaming for the healthcare workers and the, the people who support them is magnificent. It's really a wonderful thing. But, um, you know, I think that this is, the, I think it's this Corona thing is scary because health is something that uh, people in the Western world take for granted. Yeah. I think the fact that we, and maybe that's what makes it a little different than Israel or living in a war zone. There's an unpredictability to living in a war zone. That's which right. There is to this too. But I think that we've all just assumed that there will always be a pill or a remedy or a cure for whatever ails us uh, with Western medicine. And I think we're just shocked that, um, I mean, there have there've always been things like there's, there's antibiotic resistant TB, and, but you don't hear about that very much, but nothing so widespread that can't be treated that is so unpredictable. That's what I think is frightening everyone. Also, the way they told us, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And like literally overnight, so head for the hills, you know, like they, we, we got such bad information from day one from all the people that we, that we were supposed to trust from the World Health Organization to the president, to the mayor, to the governor, to everybody. Everybody except Noam Dorman because he was at home two weeks uh, before everybody else. Really? Yeah. And and I and I you know and I thought he was being a little excessive about it, but I guess uh, he was right. I did not think he was being excessive about it. I also knew that this was going to be crazy, and everybody thought I was nuts and hysterical. Well, because you're like the boy. I don't remember talk. that. Talk to anybody gonna, in my family. We're going to have to go back to the table. You don't remember it because you weren't there, and I was the only one who was sticking up for you. Right. Everybody's okay. like, "Why okay. isn't Noam at the podcast? What do you mean?" Yeah, I, I took my kids out of school like almost two weeks early, and I. I but it, it came. It was. I'm gonna say it. I'm afraid. Dan, of people is that it. true? Is what? Do you true? Remember when gnomes and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't remember oh. people saying, "Why the hell is he not at the podcast?" I thought internally it seemed a little excessive, given what I was told by the uh, CDC, World Health Organization, etc. Yeah, but, but I mean, all, all I was saying was, uh, "Look what's happening in China." Why would anybody think? it's going to be any different here. And, you know, and nobody had any answers to that. So I, I, I assumed the worst. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Cuomo. I think he's done an amazing job, but you know, at the very beginning when all this started to happen, I don't know if you remember his approach. Um, he said, I'm just turning the knob as I need to, meaning he was afraid to shut everything down. And he said, we're just going to turn the knob as we need to. So even Cuomo, who everybody is saying is wonderful, and he has been very presidential and his leadership skills are great, but even he didn't jump on this quickly and shut it down. I mean, I have friends in South Africa um, and friends in other parts of the world who are saying in India, things, I mean, things got shut down immediately. But things in New York are still not shut down. I know. I mean, there are still people gallivanting around in the streets. It's well, you know, maybe that's good because we need some people to get, I don't know, immune to it. But I just want to say about Cuomo, I'm, I'm happy Erica said that because I, I, I've been saying it and I got a lot of flack, which is I agree with you a thousand percent. I think Cuomo is reassuring and, and, and presidential is a good word. And he shows a lot of gravitas and caring and seems very sincere and all that. But he did not get this right. 
Vir- yeah. Virtually every decision he made was about two weeks too late and was not, uh, could not stand up to just the slightest scrutiny of what your thinking is, like kind of what you said. So, so you're waiting until everybody's exposed and then you're going to, like when it's, everything was waiting till it was too late and it was illuminated by the fact that other states were, who had, which had fewer cases, were earlier to the game than he was. Ohio shut down their schools like a week before we did. Uh, the, the federal government was recommending um, very small groups when Cuomo wouldn't go less than 500 and just nothing. The, 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 we had the experience, they told us to go half capacity, but then everybody just piled in together at half capacity and left the other half of the room. I mean, but even, and even if you had put them, spread them out uh, at half capacity, you would have been like two feet apart, not six feet apart, because you have to have a, a circle of six feet around you and normally they're shoulder to shoulder. So n- none of it made sense. Um, well, also, and, uh, de, Blasio, de Blasio didn't shut down the public schools in New York City. I mean, he refused to shut down because he wanted to feed the children when he could have fed the children without having the schools open. He yeah, that was- and the governor, the governor could have shut them down too. And, and de Blasio was saying, well, go out, go have a good time. And, and then the, they're telling us, don't wear a mask. And like nothing was right. And it, it, something Periel said made me think of something, you know, like when you want to say how good people can, can really blow it. And also maybe even as, as a way to view the federal government getting certain things wrong. In 1973, Israel was caught with their pants down during a, when they had a sneak attack and, and, and almost lost the country. And these were the smartest battle-tested Israelis uh, in history that were in the charge of the government in those days. But sometimes, and they knew an attack from the Arab world was uh, likely, but sometimes, despite all that, despite your talent and your good intentions and the, the, the knowledge, you still get caught. You, you, something, it just happens in a way and, and, you, and it just overwhelms you. And it's not that helpful to try to lay blame while it's happening, which you see a lot of people doing now. Afterwards, as there was in Israel, there needs to be a, 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 a reckoning see who did what wrong and what and how to handle it. And, and for the reason that you want to make sure that next time we're prepared not to blame somebody. But this really isn't, I think, a situation where there were anybody, there's any real bad guys, I don't think. And I, in, including the president, I would say, and including Cuomo and de Blasio, I'm, you know, they just blew it. I think it was just complete disbelief and yeah. denial. I mean, nothing like this has happened. So the the incredible... You know, denial is an incredible defense. And I think just people had such disbelief that this could actually be happening. I don't know. I have a very hard time accepting that. You look at a place like South Korea. They've been through this before. They've had pandemics before. They they were, they had a... a, It's hard. Did you see that video I sent you where Fauci said, I think this was in February. Yeah. This is not something that the average American has to worry about or words to that effect. Yeah, he got, he, you know, he was wrong. In January, I think it was. Might have been in January. He was on, I, I think it was, I'm not sure where he was being interviewed, but he said, yeah, this is, you know, we, we, we got it. We're taking precautions. And, 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 and he, he, he minimized it every bit as much, I think, as Trump did, except in a more elegant way. And, People uh, in international public health have been talking about this. You know, my husband, Noam knows my husband's in public health. And, um, you know, they've been talking about, a pandemic for decades, yeah, and, you know, but just no one believed them. 
So yeah. like chicken little, the sky is falling and no one yeah. actually believed them. Um, so all the people that for years said this pandemic is coming, it's just, a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, are vindicated, you know, now. And, and what is the expression? Fool me once, you're the fool. Fool me twice, I'm the fool. I mean, we better be more prepared for another one, you know, because these things can happen. Now we know so, it can actually happen. And, and but here's the, to me, here's the interesting thing about that, which is that um, I'm not sure what of those preparations would have made that much a difference. In, in the end, the big mistake, and we haven't even yet run out of ventilators, you know, just, you know, ho hopefully we won't, we might to, to some degree, and that, and that will be some lives lost. But the big mistake was uh, re uh, holding off on the, um, what, I don't want to call social distancing, distancing what, physical distancing. Social distancing is yeah. the term that we use. No, Erica wanted me to use, thinks that she's right, I think physical distancing. Yeah, but it really shouldn't be called social distancing. I'm going to, I'm going to continue okay. to use social distancing, and I'll tell you why. Wait, 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 let me just finish my point. Hold on. So, so the physical distancing was the, the big Thing. There was there was nothing in all the pandemic recommendations that I that I understand would have significantly changed our situation, other than um, the social the, the physical distancing. Well, what about more masks earlier? Huh? What about more masks on hand for the nurses and doctors? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, there, and the general public and the general public. That's what's come out now is. Uh, you know, now all these companies, my husband's company is repurposing their function to make masks. I mean, everyone's supposed to wear masks now. And, in and fact, it's not six feet. Yeah. It's actually. Yeah. But if, if you're physical, physically distancing when you're supposed to, the masks then become less crucial. For, for the healthcare workers, of course, I'm not, I'm not saying there's nothing that would have uh, been better. But I'm saying that, oh, let me just show you a, a, something here. Um, I've showed this to somebody yesterday. So this is uh, from the New York Times yesterday. This is a graph of all the, uh, uh, a bunch of first world countries, United States, Spain, Germany, Italy, France, uh, Iran's our first world, United Kingdom. And you can see they're all pretty much identical. And uh, 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 United States has 244,000 cases out of 330 million people. Germany has 79,000 cases out of uh, something like, you know, uh, I don't know how many, how many people does Germany have? Like 80 million people or something like that. S similar similar um, ratios per capita. The point being that some of them have very good leaders. Some of them have mediocre leaders. And, and it doesn't really seem to matter that. Some of them have masks. Some of them don't. Well, look um, at the Netherlands and Switzerland. Well, Switzerland is on their way up, actually. And... Um, you know, some of these countries may benefit from the fact, like North Dakota, that they're just naturally more spread out. No, I've, I've, been, I've read but, that Germany is actually, even though they have a lot of cases, they're, they're, they're doing a pretty good job in terms of their mortality rate. Yeah, that's because I, I think that's because they're, uh, maybe because they're younger, but m more because they're testing so many people that their, uh, their denominator includes a lot more people who are asymptomatic or very mild, where our, our denominator is basically all our sick people. I think that's part it, of it. I just read an article where it said it's because they're testing people more frequently, they're able to, to, they're able to as soon as somebody is positive, they can start whatever treatment might be appropriate, and that can save lives yeah, that as makes well. sense. That makes sense to me. 
Um, Not that there's much you can do, but I think there are some things that you can do. Yeah, well, we had some, we had some really real- Really going to quarantine. We had some real mess ups with the testing, which um, I don't know if there's anybody, I mean, the tests were defective. I don't know. It's not like we could prepare uh, the testing until we knew what the virus was. And the virus came here pretty shortly after it was in China, you know? And they, yeah, they made a mistake by, they made a mistake by, by um, not believing it could really happen. Then it was the disbelief that was really, yeah. Well, you right. got to give it to the, the to the captain of the Titanic, who like within at least according to the movie, you know, within five minutes he's like, okay, we're sinking, we got an hour and a half, and we got to abandon ship. I mean, to 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 uh, accept that level of doom. Who was the pilot that landed in the Hudson? And also Sully, Sully yeah. just has said within five minutes, okay, we're going in the Hudson, and then to accept that and to then act on it very quickly. So but, I think that's like where Cuomo's done a good job, right? Where, where's he done well, a good we, job? No, we were just talking about how Cuomo didn't do any of those things. He, he, he kind of half-assed it and did everything a, a little bit late. No, well, he did it a little bit late, but now, I mean, he's doing a very good job, except well, you for the have, uh, Perry, you're in the demographic of women that uh, want to have Cuomo's baby. <laughs> I don't want to have anybody's baby. But but you I'm done having babies. Wait, do you have the, the right Cuomo? Pardon? <laughs> There's two Cuomos. There's two of them. The younger brother. Well, I, yeah. yeah, I went to school with the younger brother. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. He had a thick Queens accent at the time, like his brother yeah. and his father, but he got rid of it. Yeah. So no, Cuomo. I mean, um, when. As I and I as I review like the, the my Facebook posts to the local Ardsley forum and my emails to various people, it it was when it became what was that? It became when it was becoming apparent to me, and I'm no <coughs> expert on it, but when I began to really think that shit, they need to be doing this and this and this, it was the local government that I was bitching about why are they closing the schools why aren't they closing down the businesses why are they why are they doing only half capacity i decided to close the comedy cellar a few days before the government even without even knowing that they were going to shut us down because i just felt guilty like i was like you know what i i i, I, I well, noam was uh noam had us each use a separate microphone a few days prior to the shutdown noam was giving everybody a separate microphone and one shudders to think what this pandemic would be like uh, had we all used the same microphone. Yeah, really? On those two days, that would have been the, uh, that would have uh, changed everything. But, um, kidding, of course, but. Um, he had some foresight. You know, what I say is germaphobes rule now. You know, people who were like aware that, that, that people, you, you know, you could contract things from other people, they, they were made fun of before. Now they're, they, they rule, you know. Purell hand sanitizer and some foresight about, um, you know, the spread of disease. I, I applaud Noam because, you know, people have been in such incredible denial. So, so listen to this as an article in The Hill and tell me, tell me what you guys see behind these words. This is something with Cuomo. So the headline is Andrew Cuomo to emerging coronavirus hotspots. Uh, quote, make hard choices sooner. And then he says here, uh, he advocates paying attention to numerical projections against hopeful intuition. Now, I read that to be, to his credit, 
his um, realization that he didn't do that. He was, he was using hopeful intuition. He, he didn't make the hard choices soon enough. So, you know, I'm not going to beat him up over it. I, I'm, more in, I'm more just disturbed with um, the people that, that just wants to say it out loud. And, and, and people talk about how, thank God we have Governor Cuomo. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I, I can't help it. But he didn't, he didn't close the schools when he should have, you know. I, and closing the schools, my idea was back then was to make it at least optional where they could so that I said, put the lessons and stuff online for parents who can stay home. And that way, at least the schools will be less crowded and they can spread the kids out as well because so many kids were coming home to households where they had high risk people. Yeah. It's crazy that they were forcing these high risk people or grandparents or people with heart conditions to send their kids to school. Yeah. Waiting for until somebody in the school tests positive. Yeah, it's crazy. The whole cluster. You're you're absolutely right. You're now. now, If I said that to the governor, somebody must have said that to him. Like, why? Well, you said you said. Why couldn't he? Why couldn't he figure that out? Well, you said you said that to like your local school, and everybody said you were being crazy. Yeah, but I would. Yeah, they well, they 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 told me I was a fear monger and causing panic. But um, and I and I wrote this school superintendent too, and he. He didn't have much use for me, but, uh, but the governor is different. I mean, you wonder if it really is like Roy Scheider in Jaws, you know, when the sheriff, he knew he should have closed the beaches. He knew, but there was so much pressure not to close the beaches. Yeah. He said, okay, we'll just let it ride this one more day. And then the kid gets eaten and the mom comes and slaps him across the face. I feel that's, you know, and the sheriff was a, was a sympathetic character in Jaws. I think Cuomo is a sympathetic character, but you screw it up. No, you're right. I mean, it's true. And the subway still, it's like, I just don't. But what's the solution to the subway issue? I mean, if people got to get to work, uh, essential workers have to get to work. I think they have to run more subways. I mean, I really think that they should shut everything down for two weeks. Like, well, they have the workers have to get to work, the healthcare workers. Okay, so there needs to be some provision for that. But what's going on right it's now is the grocery stores as By well. By the way, er- Erica's house is just beautiful. Look at that. And then with the dog there, it's really just, this is uh, <laughs> idyllic and whatever. Meanwhile, we're the only ones left in New York. I don't know. Periel, are you in New York? Dan, are you in New York? I am in New York. Anybody who can flee has fled. I feel like it would be desirable to flee at this point. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, but I might, uh, depending so, on how long this... Um, so, so Periel, so if they close the, everything down for two weeks, what happens after two weeks? Well, I think after two weeks, my understanding is that it slows everything down so much that the hospitals do not become so overwhelmed. And then um, what? I think we just slow we just slow it down. That's the whole point. This flatten the curve thing is. We just don't want the hospitals to be overflowing with people that they don't have the manpower and equipment to take care of. So it sounds like you're suggesting something like two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off, because it's going to come right back as soon as you, you end it. I don't think so. Why I don't wouldn't think, it? I don't think that's true. I think that it's if you... Of course it's true. Of course, that, that, it's, it's just going to pick up where it left off. It's a virus. 
until until there's enough people who've had it that some sort of herd immunity, which I think I'm here is like 50, 60 percent. I think it's 60 percent with this particular virus, they say. The more uh, contagious the virus, the more people you need to have immunity to it. Well, so measles, I read, is like 70 percent. This is about 60 percent that they would need. Yeah, but the problem is, too, that um, there are occurrences in, in Korea and uh, in China of, of, you know, contracting the virus again or... Yeah. You know, well, that, that, that's, that the jury's still out. Layer. Yeah, yeah. so the jury again. is out as to whether you develop an, an immunity yeah. to this or whether... Right. Yeah. Or there are but multiple strains, right? Yeah. From what, I've, from what I've read, the overwhelming likelihood is that there is immunity because that's pretty much how viruses tend to work. And but but, but, but ass assuming there is immunity, assuming best case scenario that there is immunity, um, it's going to start spreading right again as soon as it starts again it start, it started how it was just like yesterday there were 10 cases i mean it was, what, it was like three weeks ago something like that now we're going to start with you know tens of thousands of cases two weeks from now you know some people will be cured it there's no it seems like no way out of this that's what i think that's what's so depressing about it it's where it's really unless one of these um uh, uh, therapies like this hydroxychloroquine or the, the Ebola drug or the AIDS drug, unless one of these things really um, is consequential and really well, changes the way game. out of it. No, um, not the way out of it, but a way forward is a, one of those drugs works. B we get enough tests that we can do more aggressive isolating of the people that are infected and contact tracing. Uh, C the, the um, let's, let's just let's examine it because you know they're, they're close to having a 15 minute test so let's say uh this got to help right so let's say in a, in a week everybody can get a 15 minute test so will everybody go in time how many people will they infect before they have before they realize a little scratch in their throat or the little is, is actually serious get an appointment and go it, it, yeah, it seems like it would slow it down. Is it going to slow it? Is, is the test going to be enough that people can come out and work again? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I think that... And, and masks. And if everybody can get a really good mask, I would imagine that could... Because the mask, if you have one on, you can't transmit it. And if it's so, mandatory... So do you think if there's a 15-minute test and everybody has an N95 mask... Everybody doesn't need an N95 mask. They just need a regular mask. Only healthcare workers need N95 masks. Okay, mask. so no, repeat the question. Well, the N95 mask is the one that you need to prevent catching it. Right, the other one is to prevent spreading it. Yeah, so, but let's see. The mask of choice. The point is that if we had all those things, I don't see people coming out to the comedy cellar. Yeah, the comedy cellar is fucked. Yeah, but, but I, don't, I don't see people going, I don't see people resuming life as normal, I think that, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. a vaccine is what's gonna make, is what's gonna normalize, and that's gonna take a year to, to 18 months. Um, or some antiviral that works, you know, and. Um, but the 15 minute test, so I mean, the order of things is the 15 minute test by Abbott, which is, I think, or even FDA approved. I think the idea is that it, um, it would enable people to know if they've got antibodies and then they can go to work or they can go to the comedy cellar or they can, they can be out in public if they have some immunity to this thing. Yeah. Um, and you know what we and plasma, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And plasma too. But what we understand now is more people are carrying it and have it and are asymptomatic than we can possibly know. So the yeah. test will probably reveal that a lot of us are, are, have been exposed to it. 
and either have natural immunity or right. develop antibodies or um, so that that would be the first step. The second step is some sort of verifiable treatment, and the third and the most effective will be the vaccine. But we're going to. I did read one one kind of nutty sounding solution. Apparently, the, the the severity of your illness can depend on the viral load. That's sort of a Beavis and Butthead right. moment right there. <laughs> he's a load. He's a load. Right. <laughs> but the more the more virus you get, the worse your illness. So some guy suggested just infecting everybody. This is like a pseudo vaccine, and they used to do this, I think, with smallpox. They give everybody just a little bit. They did. Relatively light illness, and do it with only young people, 40 and under, whatever it would be, and, and, and use that as sort of a pseudo vaccine. You go Anybody? first. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, right. I, I wouldn't volunteer, but I'd probably be too old for it. But, but I did read that as a possible uh, strategy. So, uh, I, well, yeah, I don't think they're going to, yeah, I mean, oh, that, that's, it might be a good idea, but I, but I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to get that past the like, public. Like but I had, I did have two, go ahead, you want to say parties. <laughs> what, exactly. I, um, I had two kind of weird thoughts during all this. One is, and maybe just because I'm, I'm, uh, I don't get it. One is, is what a bedrock immovable for, uh, um, immovable, whatever, movable concept, the idea of money is. Like, like you just think there'd be some way to say, like, let's just, we just don't need money for a little while. Let's just, let's just work without money for a few months. And then when we come back, we'll, 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 we'll start money up again and everything will be fine. But you can't, like, it's, you can't get rid of money. It, it's going to, it's, you know, nuclear war, you'll have cockroaches. And if there's three people living, they will have to have money. Or, or everything. Well, because we can't go into suspended animation. You know, thing electricity still has to flow. But money is man-made. It's so much like money's man-made, right? It, yeah. They didn't always have money. At some point we thought of it. And it's just like you think some smart person would find figure out a way that we could all just kind of pull through this without money. And I guess you can't. All right. The, the, the other thought I had is that Waking up every morning now. I might have said this right. Waking up every morning. On the last episode. About, about public assistance? Yeah, you've made that point. Uh, all right, so I'll make it you again. You want to remake it, you're welcome to do so at this time. I, I, I noticed, I get up, there's no, there's no reason to get up in the morning at any particular time. No reason to get dressed. Just no responsibilities, no work to do, no appointments, no nothing. <laughs> and I began to think of how... Um, deleterious and uh, how insidious it must be to, co to go on public assistance for a long period of time. And that is not to say that I'm against public assistance or I think that people in need shouldn't get public assistance. I'm just saying that after like five years of living like this, I don't know if I'd ever be able to go back to work. Like you just, every, just everything just falls apart. I can see myself out on a stoop, drinking beer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, you know, you need work, you need responsibility, you need people depending on you, you need, you need all this stuff. Um, and I just find that this is in a very short time, this is not healthy. This is not healthy to just not do anything all day long. And prison must be like that too. Prison's got to be a terribly damaging thing for people. Well, you know what I've been saying to my patients is, um, you know, other than finding structure in the day, you know, you can't have a completely unstructured day. 
So you have to, it's, and you can't have a rigidly structured day that has too, too high expectation of you, but some structure. What I've been saying is do something creative every day. You know, Noam, you're a musician and a very creative person and lucky to be creative in that way. But even if you don't have an obvious talent that's a creative talent, everyone can be creative. You know, I'm telling people to bake bread. Um, I'm telling people to, you know, to, to make Play-Doh. Um, with their kids, you know, from scratch or to paint a painting, you know, uh, or get out the crayons or do a mandala. I have a friend who's been sending me these daily um, coloring. I don't know if you've seen these mandalas that you color in. Um, but I don't know what a mandala that, is. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a, it's a, it's, it's a, a Buddhist, I think it's Buddhist. Um, An album from the police. Basically a, a, a prayer image. It's like a geometrical image. And basically, you know, she sends it to me every day, but it's white with just, you color in the lines. But basically there's something, there you go. Thank you. Those are mandalas. Okay, go ahead. Um, but the idea is do something creative every day because, um, yeah, Freud said you need love and work. You need some kind of meaningful work, but some creative endeavor is work. Um, he didn't necessarily say it has to be paid work. Um, so, so something creative every day. And it doesn't, again, the expectations that you don't have to write a, uh, you know, an award-winning song, but, uh, or bake a bread that's the best bread you've ever baked, or, but, but, or paint a painting that's a masterpiece. But the idea of doing something creative and doing something creative with your kids every day. Yeah, well, actually, the homeschooling, um, that, that gives us the most structure because the school has assignments every day that the kids have to do. So that, um, that I do. And then I've been practicing the guitar, trying to learn some old uh, classical pieces that I used to work on. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go into the city, I think, tomorrow to pick up a, a hard drive. Okay, don't worry. This is how I'm going to do it. Tell me if it's okay. I'm going to pull up in the aisle tree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna no. to pop. Listen, I'm going to pop the trunk. I'm not getting out of the car. And Tony's going to put it in the trunk for me. And I'm going to drive away. You think that's safe? No, I don't know why you have to do that. Can't some? Can't you order something on Amazon to be shipped to your house? You haven't no, I, I want to so long. I, I, I want to pick up the hard drive of all the recordings I've made in the olive tree with my band over the last three years. I was going to try to mix a little. You know, if you order from Amazon, uh, Periel, someone's got to go out and drive and deliver some shit. Yeah, I know that. So we're not right. saving, you know. You're right. No, you're right. Noam hasn't left the house in so long, and Juanita has, you know, delicate lungs. And like, is it really worth it? Um. Well, I don't know. I don't think if I don't get out of my car, am I taking a risk? I think if you don't get out of your car, you're not taking a risk. I think as long as you drive in, you don't get out of your car, you pop your trunk, and they stick it in there, and you and you really. Scrub it down with some bleach when you get when it gets there. Some you know chlorine. Well, I'm going to leave it in the trunk for 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 a week before I take oh, it out. Yeah. Because, so you can wear it. an N95 mask if you have one. You I have one. N95 mask. Those are for the healthcare workers. I have two things. To I say. have one. You have one. Yeah, I ordered some in 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 February. <laughs> you should give them to the doctors. I have two things to say. Number one is what Erica said before is why she's actually qualified to be a real um, therapist. Therapist, yes. yes. Um, unlike, you know, somebody like yourself. <laughs> of course, and she's qualified to be a real therapist. She really cares about people. <laughs> I just want to be right all the time. And the second thing is, and you're, and Noam's gonna give me a hard time about this, 
But I really think that there is a moral and ethical responsibility on those of us who have the luxury to sit at home is to really be helpers and to find ways to, like I've been using my big mouth and all of my connections to try and really get um, healthcare workers masks. Yeah, but Noam, Noam, Noam is, uh, had some issues with that. And it's been working um, both on a larger scale and a smaller scale. I have, like I mentioned, a few friends who have partners who are doctors at um, several of the big hospitals in New York. We just got three. They need five baby monitors to right. put into the rooms with the older patients. No, this is important. I, I, I got to interject something because Dan said something. that could, I, I don't have a problem with you, not a problem. You have you have some questions regarding. I I am very skeptical of some of these people who seem to be doing mask arbitrage or whatever it is, and and I I just know how corrupting money is, and these people who are buying millions of masks rather than just introducing the hospital to the supplier and saying here you can order masks. People who want to raise money from GoFundMe then buy the mask, then then be the middleman to take the mask, but they're not taking a penny for themselves. It's possible, but there was a whole article in the Times about it. I sent it to you that a lot of people are not doing it honorably. On the face of it, it's suspicious to me because if there's a supplier in China who can sell a million masks, why can't New York Presbyterian order them directly? Okay, so it's the same reason why Mike Birbiglia had to set up a GoFundMe for the oh, comedy it? seller. Yeah, it is. Because New York Presbyterian is not allowed to order the mask? No, because New York Presbyterian has certain rules and setups, and I don't even know for New York Presbyterian. Then, then I can talk, listen to me. My friend's husband is an infectious disease doctor at Montefiore Hospital in the Bronx. They do not have enough masks. We know that. Okay. So why aren't they getting enough masks? No, I have that's not my question. My question is if there is somebody in China that has a million of them, why do they need a million why do they need a middleman and a GoFundMe page? I don't Why know. Why can't the I'm hospital directly? I'm not dealing with those kinds of quantities. Nobody I know is yes, dealing. Yes, the GoFundMe page that you showed us was. They said they have purchased for a million masks, and they're trying to, and they they're raising. They want ten dollars for a, a, a protective. What's a PPP stand for? Protective Whatever it is, protective uh, a kit. The whole thing is like, well, like if you have access to a seller, why can't you just introduce the seller to the buyer? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I asked you to invite your friend on. She could explain it. I'm super I, I happy to be on, but I also sent you a ton of evidence to which you did not reply, including you pictures. You didn't send me any evidence. I didn't? You sent me evidence that people don't have masks. No, I didn't send you pictures of the doctors receiving masks. Oh, I'm not, I'm not even questioning whether they might receive masks. I'm questioning whether or not this is... All right, you know what I'm questioning. I'm questioning whether or not this is not a scheme, maybe not with your friend, but in general to try to take a taste, a few pennies on I'm each sure one of these masks. Right, I'm sure some people are doing that. Marielle, but let's move on. I wanna say something. I'm asking a very simple and, and, and very uh, reasonable question, which does, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't a very reasonable answer. But the question is, why can't the hospital buy the masks directly from this buyer? Why do they need a GoFundMe page 
to raise money to then buy the mask, to then give them to the hospital. And, and rather than give me a million other things, why don't you call up your friend and ask her the, that, the answer to that question? Because it's a perfectly reasonable common sense question. It's the same kind, of common, same, kind of, it's the same kind of common sense question which says, why do we think after seeing what's happening in China, why do we think it's not going to happen in New York? But I've already told you what I think the answer is. I think it's bureaucratic red tape. But why is there no red, red, red tape taking it from, some, from, from your friends? It doesn't make any sense. I and, don't, I don't, and if you think that's the answer, that's just something you've come up with. You, you, I, I like to deal in facts. I don't know. I, I don't think- Fair enough. I'm going to make a ruling. The ruling is it's a legitimate question and we should get the answer from the person, from, from Periel's friend. And, and I'm tempted to say something that you're not going to like, but I mean, I will say it, but it's not, it, it, which is that every time you read about-, read about in the paper about somebody who did something really horrible and selfish and scammed somebody. Don't say it. They have friends too. It's like the fact that, that people know people. What I thought you were going to say. This, but this is just like, listen, we've all been in situations where we suspect our own friends that we hear, you hear some facts like, oh my God, you don't think my friend would do such a thing. I mean, this is, let's just grow up here. We, 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 with a lot of money, we're talking about millions of dollars here. And people. We're not. People, and people who are asking on good GoFundMe pages that have glaring omissions of, of facts, it, it, it's certainly, I think I'm certainly correct to say, hey, wait a minute. You got to explain a few things to me first. I think That's that you're, I think it's fine to be skeptical. I feel very confident in the things that I've involved in, that they are legit because I know the doctors who are receiving them and the people who are getting them. Here, have um, you been promoting this? Um, via the Comedy Cellar uh, Instagram uh, page? Because I think Noam would probably not want you to do that. Oh, I don't care. She can promote it. I, 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 God forbid, it, 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 and I don't want to take a mask out of anybody's face, off of anybody's face. I just, I just wish that since you have access to these people, and it's been a week already, that you would ask them the very simple question, why can't you just arrange for the seller and buyer to... to because I will ask that question. Why do you need charity? Okay, like, I think we've resolved that she's going to ask the question. Charity would imply another. Here's another question: Why can't if does it, why can't New York Presbyterian give the money to the GoFundMe? Like if it has to be a middleman? Uh, that I don't know. But the only, but the, uh, you've also derailed what I was saying. Sorry. That, go ahead. Go ahead. Is that I do think that you know, for example, we just got four baby mo- three baby monitors into a hospital that desperately needed them. This is yeah. what's called baby monitor drama. <laughs> Meaning there's other things, Periel, that they need other than just masks. There's actually basic equipment that they need. Oh, they also need masks. Like yeah. my fr- a friend of a friend just had 18 and 95 masks who sent to this doctor who's inf- at infectious disease at Montefiore. I mean, so it's like shit, like stop rolling your eyes. I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm thinking that, listen, I'm not saying they're not going to get masks in anybody's hands. I'm not saying they're not going to get baby monitors. For instance, uh, we have, Mike Birbiglia has $40,000 um, or whatever it is for, for this GoFundMe for the seller staff. Now someone's going to have to decide and be in charge of distributing that money and, and, and consider the need and all that stuff, I presume. Um, someone gets paid to do that, right? No, I don't think of so. Of course, somebody should get paid to do that. To get paid to do what? 
Oh, I so, thought Mike was going to do that. Mike's if if Mike wants to do it, that's fine. But if Mike, if Mike hired somebody to do it for, uh, you know, for, for $15 an hour, I would certainly say, well, of course you, you, you know, that's how charities work. Charities start hiring people that chari- And the, the, so the, 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 so that when you, and when you start raising, this is a small amount of money when, and, and it's a close knit community. But when you start taking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars from strangers sending it to China, coming back, delivering to hospital, um, there's tremendous opportunities for small bits of that money to get siphoned off. Yeah, and it's very tempting. And, 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 and the truth is, there's even honorable, on the up and up reasons to siphon some of that money off. But when, when you're self-dealing, when the person who's raising the money is also the person deciding how to siphon it off and also the person deciding who gets to do the job and who gets paid to, to, to do the logistics and all that, it's a real... It's a real formula for corruption. And given that it's such an obvious formula for corruption, the people asking for the money should be very, very open. Like if you have a 501c3 corporation, whatever, you have to put online exactly where the money goes, how much each person gets paid. There's all sorts of disclosures that are required of charities because, because of this very reason. And none of that's going on with this mask stuff. That's, well, the one that I sent you I, is a four-rated star on Charity Navigator. I sent you that. It says that. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, I bet I all the charities. I think this conversation, we've, everybody said what they need to say. And the yes, only- I'm, turning, I'm turning into Scrooge. I don't want to be Scrooge. I don't, I, I hope, the, the chances are they're doing great work and I'm happy. I'm just, oh, just there you go. No that's that's nice. just my nature. What can I do? No one has a question. I think it's a legitimate one. And, and your friend hopefully can answer that. And, 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 we'll, and when they do, then we can discuss it at that time. So I think we should move on. Um, I, I did, by the way, Trump said something today in the press conference that even by his standards, unless I'm missing. Wait, I, just want, I just want to add one thing to this because it's important that everybody see. I'm sorry, Dan, but just so you know that I'm not crazy because this happened after, um, after this. Look at, the, look at the headline in the Times. It's Bedlam in the mass market as profiteers out hustle. Good Samaritans. Hospitals, governments, do-gooders, and hucksters are all competing. Scams and prices are soaring. So this was this came out after you know a few days after I I said this stuff on the podcast. So you know, call me crazy, but there it is in black and white. So if if it's not if it's not apt, if it's not appropriate for what the people we were talking about, it's certainly appropriate in general. Uh, what I'm saying and correct in general. So go ahead. Now. Um, I was saying that Trump said something today at the press conference that even by Trump standards seemed to me pretty horrific, unless I'm misinterpreting it. Somebody, somebody uh, mentioned something that Biden apparently said. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. And Trump said, I don't think Biden said that. Somebody said it on his behalf. I don't even think Biden is watching this press conference. And if he is, he doesn't even understand it or something like that. He, I, to me, it felt like a reference to uh, dementia. Yeah, it, it does sound like that. And that's how I took it. And, and, I'm surprised I didn't see more about it on social media. I'm sure people are talking about it. I thought it would be a bigger scandal because that seemed, even by Trump standards, to be a pretty horrific thing to say if I'm interpreting it the way I think he meant it. Well, I think you are. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this. And I, so, because I was thinking, I didn't hear that, but I was thinking about this. Um, first of all, by Trump standards, Trump made fun of the guy with, uh, you know, with physical issues and, and Trump made fun of McCain for getting captured or Joe, whatever. So he, he's, he said some terrible things, but it did occur to me that for two years we were told that Trump had cognitive decline and doctors 
psychiatrists and psychologists were breaking what they knew was their ethical obligations and saying, listen, I know we're not supposed to ever, you know, uh, diagnose somebody without seeing them, but it's clear to us that, that this man is in cognitive decline, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, that guy Steele wrote that book um, uh, where, where he said that, that Trump was in cognitive decline. So, and now we watch Trump in his press conferences. And although he may be horrible in terms of how you feel about him, he really doesn't appear to be in cognitive decline, does he? He's got, he's got the names and the figures and the facts and the first names and the last names and the governor's names and how many of this. He's got them all at his fingertips in a way which uh, you would just not suspect cognitive decline in the way he's answering questions uh, and so many details, which to me really took me aback and say, well, you know, isn't it interesting how confirmation bias just overtook us all? And every time he like tweeted something with a misspelling or a missed word, we said, there it is again, cognitive decline. And, and then as opposed to Biden, who, and this may be part of the reason that Trump is so nasty about it. Uh, Biden, who really does seem to be slow and kind of does forget things all the time, not, not dementia, but like a normal 80-year-old. Um, and, and we all kind of just pretending it's not happening. But it's really hard to imagine Biden and at this trajectory being 83 and being able to handle a crisis like the one Trump is handling now. And I... I as I, as I hear Biden talk, and I don't say this with any pleasure, it doesn't seem like he'd be able to remember the names and the figures and, and all the stuff. He goes on an interview and gets the name, you know, like Chris Wallace, very famous longtime journalist, gets their names wrong. And he talks about hundreds of thousands of people dying from, or millions of people dying from gun violence. I mean, he, goes all, he gets numbers wrong all the time and names wrong all the time and, and misremembers facts all the time. Um, so I, I've, I've taken the subject away from Dan's question. I would say, Dan, yes, it's very insulting. Trump shouldn't talk like that. But then the actual substance of the matter, uh, I'm worried that, uh, that Trump may be onto something there with Biden. I don't know, Erica, you, you probably can't talk about but, it. I mean, I don't remember Trump. I, I mean, you may remember it more clearly. My, some of my colleagues wrote pieces about Trump having a personality disorder. Yeah not being in cognitive decline. So I don't remember oh, maybe you're right. maybe that's... having organic decline, but I, I do remember my colleagues putting themselves out on a limb, which really we can't do as clinicians, which is diagnose someone remotely if we haven't even met them from their public statements and their public image. So that, that's not right. But at the same time, I do remember that, that there were a bunch of articles uh, in the psychological community, uh, you know, people coming out in the clinical community saying he had a personality disorder. So yeah, I, I did a quick Google just to show you, you like, a, a, here's, a, here's a quick uh, psychologist okay. warn of Newsom of Trump's mental decline. It is, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, have I, I, I don't see him as being in a different, decline would, would imply that he's in a different place than when he started. And I don't think he's in a different place than when he started. I just think no. it exposed... Uh, running for president and becoming president exposed his um, his his cognitive uh, inabilities, but I don't know that it would be declined. In terms of uh, Biden, you know, I don't I don't think many people know, but Biden had a very bad stutter when he was a child. Um, and what can happen with speech impediments 
is as you get older, they, uh, they can come back to a certain extent. And so what I have noticed is that, um, and I think more, he should talk about it more because his speech impediment is not a cognitive deficit. It is, uh, it's, it's really a disability he had that he overcame. But I, I you know, as you get older, uh, your, your, some of your internal resources in, in decline just naturally, it's things like speech impediments can come back. And he's got a little bit of, of that again. And I think people sometimes confuse him stumbling uh, with, with thought processes. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to say he does forget some things. I think Trump forgets things. Trump is always misnaming people. And, you know, um, so well, they're all old guys. The truth is that I have more confidence that Biden would surround himself with people who are good people who he wouldn't fire every time they disagreed with him. The problem with Trump is he didn't surround himself with good people. And if he did, he fired them. He just fired another guy. He fired the guy who called him out on the Ukraine thing. He just fired him. So let, uh, let me make the case for Biden, because I think Eric was right. Um, I mean, that, that she could be right. That uh, he did pretty well in that one-on-one debate with Sanders. I don't know if anybody watched it. And yeah. he was a, it was a lower pressure situation. He didn't have an audience there. And being relaxed, he, he didn't make any gaffes uh, of note that I recall. And, he, and, he, and his, even his speech was more fluid. And I think that I, I, it's totally plausible to me because the mind can actually only do one thing at a time, even though it switches back and forth. Um, when he's in the process of focusing on trying to get the word out because of speech impediment, at that point, he could just reach for a number and be so distracted that it comes out 330 million instead of 30,000. He might not even really even hear what he's saying because he's so overtaken with the stress of being on TV in front of a billion people on planet Earth and not being able to say a few simple words. So I could see that. I could totally see that too. It also, it takes to, to control a speech. A speech impediment is not something that you just, you master and then you've mastered it. So I don't know, you know, if you've ever known somebody with a speech impediment or I've treated families with children with speech impediments, it's something that you just continually have to uh, to regulate for the rest of your life. You have to always be aware. You have to use the same techniques over and over again. So you're right. I mean, he might be very much focusing on making sure that he doesn't he doesn't stumble on his words. And you know, so out comes a statistic that is not the right statistic. We'll never know. Um, but I, I do think that's an important point, which is that we don't really know if it's cognitive or if it's really just that many, many people don't know because he's been so good at, at, at overcoming the speech impediment that, that he stumbles. You know, they've always said he stumbles, he stumbles. He stumbles because he's always had a speech impediment and well, he works very hard to control it. That's not, it's, that does not affect his cognitive abilities. Either, either way, it's going to be a problem because, if you re- problem because if you read some of his answers where he really like loses kind of focus on the question and goes yeah. off on a tangent and then kind of just peters out altogether. So let's say that happens because of what we said, he's stressed and, and actually loses his train of thought because he's focused on the speech impediment, all, you know, all understandable things. Um, he's going to have to be president and, and it's going to be tough on him if he, in press conferences and things like that, he does this repeatedly. And of course, his opposition is going to be brutally unfair and unkind to him. And they're going to put the worst spin on it that they can in terms of calling it cognitive decline. And we're going to have 
you know, unfortunately, probably four more years of ugly, horrible politics that I think we were all kind of hoping that Biden would be the would be the answer to like just somebody who could kind of just bring things not that politics were ever that pleasant but just to you know right above the line where we're or at least our heads are above water that it's just not so horrible every day no matter whose side you're on even if you're pro trump this has got to get to you it's just it's just horrible you know and i'm worried that that biden won't be that guy and i think that maybe cuomo could do a lot better at being a a, a unifier Somebody like that. I don't know. I think a lot's going to depend on who he chooses as a running mate. I mean, I think that's going to be a really important decision for him because if he chooses a brilliant running mate, um, you know, people are going to see his vice presidential running mate as um, as someone who can take on the presidency if he can't fulfill his commitment. Do you think that Cuomo stands a shot at that? Do I mean, is there a shot that he could pick Cuomo? I I tried to no. He uh, pick Cuomo as his running mate. He, he could, but he already said he wanted to pick a woman, so he'd have to do a little double talking to get out of that. I suppose uh, to pick a woman, and she could uh, publicly, you know, say, I, "I, I'm very honored, but I think that you should have Cuomo or someone." I mean, I'm sure they could orchestrate something. Well, but, uh, saying, I think a man should handle this. <laughs> <laughs> but if he, if he doesn't pick a woman, people like AOC. I mean, she's just been brutal on everything now. Uh, I don't think she's going to stand for that. I guess he, he could transition. Well, uh, Cuomo, in no uncertain terms, in an interview with his brother, said he has no interest in running for president. I assume, by extension, he has no interest in being a vice presidential candidate either. Well, one, one awkward thing I, would be that we may not be out of this crisis yet. And for him to leave the governorship uh, to take the vice presidency might look very opportunistic when we need him. You know, so maybe he's got to wait till 2024. Well, also, they made such a big deal about Bloomberg breaking the rules. Right. And so, you know, the, the fact that there is a system and if you go outside of the system, you are cheating kind of thing uh, that Bloomberg was cheating the political system. And so I have a feeling that whoever is chosen is going to be someone within the political system, not outside of it, based on that. Boy, but, does Bloomberg look bad, huh? He tarnished his image something awful. Well, you know, again, it, he came in too late and he wasn't really prepared for, I don't think as a CEO, he was really prepared to be a candidate. I just don't think he was prepared. Turns so. out he says all those horrible things about women, jokes, and then now he, 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 he induced, they claim, he induced everybody to take this job because he said they'd have employment through the 2020 election, and then he laid everybody off, and he canceled their health care. I mean, it's just, it's probably not as bad as they're saying, but his, 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 his legacy is just, I'm sure he's steaming. Yeah. He yeah. left as the greatest mayor ever, you know, and now he's this, that's what happens to New York mayors when they leave. All right, we're way over time. Saturday Night Live, I guess. What's that? It's like leaving Saturday Night Live. Yeah, well, yeah, some people manage it, some people don't. Where's Giuliani been? Quiet, uh, which is where he should be. Tweeting <laughs> about hydroxychloroquine, among other things. He's probably yeah. investing in hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, we just have to hope that the president doesn't, that Trump doesn't sort of declare... Uh, postponing the election based on some kind of, you know, but realistically, how are we going to vote if we're still social right. distancing? Yeah, no, I mean that's that, that's that's what I'm most fearful about is that he finds some 
legal constitutional reason to postpone the election. Well, Giuliani, Giuliani tried to do that. Yeah. At 9-11 and uh, Governor Pataki, who was, a, who was a Republican, told him no fucking way. I'm not I'm not doing that. Now, the thing about Trump, uh, one of the one of the blurring, uh, one of the connecting of the dots or blurring of the lines that goes on with him is that, in my opinion, just because he's an authoritarian personality like a boss and he wants things his way and he wants things done, he wants to cut through the bullshit. People have always taken that as shorthand to mean that he wanted to end American democracy and didn't respect it. And I, I, I've never felt that way at all. Roosevelt was quite an authoritarian and he, he stacked the court. He, he tried to pack the court and he ran for four terms and whatever it is. He, and, he, and he was a little king. But that doesn't mean he wanted to end. He was looking for a way to become a dictator. I, I honestly have never felt that Trump wants to end democracy. He's never made noises about not honoring the Supreme Court. When they, I, when they put a limit on his travel ban, he, he licked his wounds and rewrote it, you know. You're shaking your head, you know, but he has, he's never said anything to indicate that he wanted to end democracy. From your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, I think he's a patriot. I think, I think that in half a second, if it suited him, he would set the entire constitution on fire. Okay, well, you, you can think that, and you, and, and you might be right. Some, some, some very smart people think that Yasha Malk wrote a whole, and he's a friend of mine, Yasha Malk wrote a whole book about it. And yet, um, he hasn't done, I mean, the, the, the argument's been made, it may be a good argument, it may be not, but the argument's been made, if, he, if, if that were the case, why is he not using all the authority that he has for this crisis? For example, he said to the governors in the press conference today, somebody said, well, why, why do we have a nationwide shutdown? He goes, because there's something called the Constitution. So he's leaving it up to the... Now, I don't know, from a constitutional standpoint, how legitimate that is, but would a dictator uh, do something like that, or would he try to take all the power for himself? And, and if, if Trump tried to suspend the election, of course, there would be an immediate Supreme Court case, and the court would either say it's, it's okay for a certain amount of time or not, and probably not, I mean, I'm, I'm almost certainly not, and and everything would everything would happen according to the rule of law, and then if he if he refuses to abide by it, the, the, army, the army is not coming out to install President Trump as a dictator. It's, it's not it's not going to happen. Gonna what, happen. what I mean, if there cannot be an election, Trump's term of office ends. Right. It ends when it's supposed to end constitutionally, and then. I don't know that it, he can just stay there just because there was no election. He can't. He can't. He can't. And he, and he can't even cancel the election. And he, he, he could, you know, he could be like, I mean, I've joked about this years ago. He could be like the last scene in Scarface with Al Pacino. Like, I'm not leaving and shoot everything down, but he's not going to come out alive. He's not staying. We're not going to have dictator Trump. Famous last words. Yeah, but I, I but it is a legitimate question. If we have this level of social distancing in effect, we cannot have an election at least as we normally have it. We'd have to maybe have it over five days and everybody goes in one at a time by a, 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 an appointment or something. That's a question. I don't know. I mean, you could see, let, let, if the election were tomorrow. You couldn't do it. You could see reasonable case for Trump to say, we need to, we need to postpone the election for a month. Or I mean, you know, it's like without, without doing it because he wanted to become a dictator. But hopefully by November, that will not be the case. I don't know. You could have mail-in voting or... Um, 
I suppose everybody could do it by mail. Or, or yeah, Dan had a good idea, or extend it to four or five days so people, and make an appointment to vote. Or, uh, but, also, but also in crisis, people are more unlikely to want to wanna change leadership, even if the leadership is bad. I mean, that's just been proven. The yeah. people are afraid of change at moments of crisis. So, yeah. So we hope by November, it's a different story. And of course, there's, there's, some, there's some sense to that because someone takes over and they got to get up to speed. That's right. Well, that's and, right. And, and one thing that both, that I think about both Tromo and, Tromo and Quump, Cuomo <laughs> and Trump, Trump is, and that, <laughs> is that they are, they are both much better for this job now than they were two months ago. They both have learned, hopefully with Trump, certainly Cuomo has learned a lot and has learned from their mistakes and they're likely to be much better at doing this over, going forward than they have been in the past. There's a lot of mistakes that Cuomo will not make again. And hopefully there will be a lot of mistakes that Trump won't make again. I'm more confident in Cuomo learning, but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think Trump is the total idiot that they say he is. And Trump seems to be respecting the scientists around him. You know, I'll say this, if Trump were not taking advice, it would be from doctors who were trying to save lives I do not see how it would not leak out immediately in the press. Trump could not keep a secret within his own administration that he was trying to investigate Biden with the president of Ukraine. Every single conversation Trump has ever had within his administration that was a little bit funny has leaked out into the papers. If Trump were actually saying, I don't want to hear about these lives, this life-saving shit, I'm, I'm doing this anyway, let the lives be damned. Do you think people hearing that, the doctors, doctors who have taken an oath would keep that quiet? You don't think they'd resign? You don't think they'd call the Times anonymously and tell them what's happening? So I, I, I think I'm pretty confident that he's listening uh, to what's being told to him and taking it seriously. That's my, maybe naive, that's what I think. All right, on that, on that note, anybody, you disagree with that, Periel, of course. You, you don't need to actually disagree. You, you should just make that face. No, you know what the difference is? Is that I'm not just gratuitously disagreeing. But you, but you don't agree, no. right? Of no, course. I do agree. Oh, you do? Oh. She's listening. Unlike She's you, I'm not just going to disagree for the point of disagreeing. Can I say something really nice about Periel? I've said this before, but it's really true. You know, Periel is very, very easygoing. And sometimes we tease her on the show and... and, and make jokes, you know, it's, I, I almost like makes little tongue in cheek, like a Gracie Allen jokes, like, you know, like teasing her for like being like, you know, like silly or simple. And she- Silly or simple? Simple. Yeah. I'm saying, I make jokes like, yeah, I know, Periel. And I roll my eyes. But she takes it with such gracious spirit. You know, that is a very rare quality in a person. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm tempted to say that's, that's, an indication of her being simple-minded, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's like a Jeff Rain Ross. Man. <laughs> Jeff Ross's poem, "My Girl Giggles." <laughs> no, but Periel is really a good egg. I, I really appreciate that about her. Like you can make jokes and kind of like do that stuff without having to worry about getting emails from her and text messages about how could you say that, blah blah blah. Well, the thing is, is that um, I actually I think it's because I'm so smart that I'm actually able to, you know, I, I don't take it to heart, and I know that I, I'm right more often than you realize. 
Yeah, that's so it's easier. It's easier to do it. But thank right. you. Anyway, Erica, uh, and uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll I'll email you. But anyway, I, I'm really hoping that, that that you're all keeping safe, and I'm, it's really nice of you that that you've looked in on me, and um, we're very very feel very fortunate to to know you and have you as a friend. And um, so yeah, just, and I hope you and Juanita and the children are safe and and. And I, I also will email you just to check in. To we're not leaving the house until this, until this. Yeah. Is well, yeah, I think we're going to get pick up the uh, computer. Yeah, you're not picking up a fucking hard drive. I'll think about that, but I, but I mean, I'm, we're not we're not going to mix with the outside world. I I actually think in 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 my car, just wearing a mask in my car, just popping the trunk, somebody puts it and then driving off is probably not a risk. But compared to those, case, um, yeah. And wait, wait, and what happens if, God forbid, you get into an accident or something? Like, is it really worth the chance? It's an interesting. I wish you hadn't said that. Pardon? I wish she hadn't said that. You're right. I mean, if your car breaks down, I just get Juanita to come pick me up. If I could die in an accident. Well, or you could have an accident and then have to interact with people. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, no. You're right. I'm going to send Juanita. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, God's going to punish me for that one. I'm sorry. We let Noam have the last laugh (laughs) and bid our audience adieu or adieu. Um, You can write us comments, suggestions uh, at uh, podcast.comedyseller.com. Erica Combs, do you have any books coming out? I do. I'm working on my second book. It's on parenting adolescents in the age of anxiety. That's the next one to come out in about a year. So right now I have being there, why prioritizing motherhood in the first three years matters. Okay. So that's some, um, perhaps some good, uh, uh, quarantine reading along with Periel's bestseller. The only bush I trust, trust is my own. And, and follow uh, us on read. Instagram at, at live from the table. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.